0: Welcome back to the Most Accurate Podcast here at 444 4 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today by the man himself who is around because it's been so busy already this time of year, John Paulson. Paulson, how's, how's it going?
1: It's going good. I got my one monster article out of the way, 99 stats, but a mid-chain one posted that uh, this week, and I'm working on draft day strategy. Uh, This week, uh, which will probably go up early next week. So those are my two behemoth articles every year. And then I get into some smaller form stuff. So looking forward to getting this one done.
0: And we will be talking about one of those stats and articles today because your 99 stats article is now up, as you said, available for everyone. And they can read it by subscribing because our draft kit and pro subscription are now open as well, You can use the promo code DAGLE10 for a discount as well before the waiver wires and everything else start happening. More articles on the site, including my own team previews. Also, the Zoomers are telling me that if you leave a super chat or super sticker, I think that's what the kids are calling it, you will be entered for one of those free subscriptions to 444. So that is your chance to not only join what we're doing here at the 444 YouTube channel, but also... Get that subscription we're talking about before everything else starts rolling out. And I want to begin with the Jonathan Taylor news and one of your stats from your article. Because as you wrote, Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry are the only two backs to average more than 20 touches per game in each of the last two seasons. And what we're seeing right now is Jonathan Taylor's ADP fall to the second, third round turn because of his quote unquote back injury. The Colts are playing hardball since Jim Ursay has now drunkenly said he's not going to give more money to Taylor or trade him. Thus, they are putting him on the NFI list, the non-football injury list, which means, based on everything I've read, that if he's not activated from that list this year, he's not a free agent either. The contract tolls one more season. So Taylor's best interest now is to return and play, assuming he's healthy, or get stuck in the same hell organization that refuses to play hardball with him. So what are you doing with Taylor and his projections and how we should be handling him in drafts right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, between Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Jonathan Taylor, we have a group of high-touch RB1s that are disgruntled, and they have varying levels of whether or not they're going to play. I mean, Barkley's situation is cleared up, so I've moved him back up into the top Uh, eight or seven. And I think Taylor on this news, I moved down from five to eight. Uh, I've got him ahead of Ramondre and Jameer Gibbs in half PPR. Uh, He almost slipped to me in at 212. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do in uh, Pros versus Joes on Sunday. Uh, And I was, you know, going, well, you know, I wasn't expecting Taylor to be there. Uh, And then you start seeing this stuff with the trade request that's been denied and now he has a back injury which is he says i believe he tweeted that he doesn't have a back injury so it's very weird uh you know as you mentioned though i think it's his best interest to show up and play i think it's also the you know the case with josh jacobs but it sounds like josh jacobs is gonna hold out or at least at least until the season if not into the season uh so these guys have to be a little bit more risky in terms of uh you know where you're drafting them maybe they miss a game or two maybe they're not quite in game shape etc so you know taylor for me is kind of a you know i, I wasn't in love with him heading in compared to everybody else there derrick henry pollard Bijan robinson barkley you know situation talent the whole situation with the the quarterback change there you know not in love with the whole situation but solid RB1, but so I'm not running out and trying to grab him. I'm looking for reasons to maybe pick somebody else.
0: The Taylor drop in ADP is interesting because I've been underweight on him all offseason, just understanding that his pass catching equity and thus his ceiling is lower than the players that I have him in the same tier with, as you mentioned, Tony Pollard, Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley, Ramondre Stevenson, Derrick Henry, whatever order you want to put them in. I have Taylor, had Taylor, I should say, in that tier, but had him at the bottom behind those players because as the great Ben Gretsch of Stealing Signals and J.J. Zacharison, late-round quarterback, have explained through their studies this offseason together and their work that RPO teams can still carry two 20% target share players. For instance, the last four seasons, as JJ had mentioned in his free newsletter for everyone, that if you ran at least 15% of RPO pass plays, which Shane Steichen, Colts coach, did top two rate and back-to-back seasons with the Eagles, then half those teams that ran at least 15% RPO offense carried two 20% target share players. But then we go into fantasy points data suite that they just launched. And we start looking at first read target numbers and what kind of positions and players are there. And obviously, running backs are never the first read option of an RPO RPOT. Uh, that would probably make your offense terrible if your first read is a running back target. And so we, we think that the target share just won't be there anyways for Jonathan Taylor. But now, boards are letting him fall in a position we shouldn't be getting him anyways. We were taking... T Higgins, Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf, who we all may like, but we were only taking them because we didn't want any of the running backs there, but now Jonathan Taylor's there. So I don't have to force myself to take those players who all have red flags anymore. Now I could take Jonathan Taylor. So I think it actually makes a, a really good opportunity to dip. And honestly, if the best ball winners, whether it be, underdog three million dollar one the thousand dollar entry Mastiff I think the winners and tournaments are going to come from these next two weeks because of the dips happening in ADP
1: yeah I think I'm looking at the uh, underdog ADP right now and he's RB7 I'd have him at RB8 I mean Derek Henry's going after him and I think at this this point I would put I would take Henry over over Taylor but then you have the the group you were talking about Devonta Smith T T Higgins you know I might go with those guys over Taylor uh you know Metcalf I would not and then Ramondre Stevenson is interesting that you said that you have Stevenson ahead of Taylor in that tier or is it okay so Stevenson is, is an interesting case because they seem pretty determined to be bringing in a veteran back and you just wonder how many touches is that veteran back going to get who is it going to be if it's a Kareem Hunt or somebody who's actually like Kareem Hunt still in his prime and is actually pretty good I'm probably less worried about maybe Zeke um, or Fournette uh, just because I, you know, they they seem like the, the tail end of their uh, careers, uh, maybe not as productive as I think Kareem Hunt can be. So it sort of depends on who that's going to be and how many touches they're going to get. It doesn't seem like they're completely sold on the, the players behind Stevenson. He should be okay. But that Stevenson-Taylor decision is interesting.
0: And maybe we should be ahead of it to your point if we think a free agent is coming like a Fournette Hunt, as you mentioned. But if it's Ezekiel Elliott, I don't care. I do not worry whatsoever about Zeke stealing targets from Ramondre Stevenson. And to that point, a next stat that picked my brain that you wrote, per pro football reference, among backs with at least 100 carries, Tony Pollard was first in yards after contact per attempt and 15th among running backs in rush attempts per broken tackle. And now, Paulson, as you know, He does not have Zeke blocking him. It is a competition between Malik Davis and Rico Dowdle behind him as the RB2 following Ronald Jones' two-game suspension. And I think to this point of the season, including today right now, Tony Pollard is the most egregious ADP in all of drafts because he should be a first and at worst first-second-round turn player, and he continues going in the mid to back end of the second round.
1: Yeah, it's a... Mid-second round steal. There, there aren't yes. many of those, and I think, you know, the guy that sort of fit that bill for the last couple of years, in my opinion, is Nick Chubb. Uh, not because of a pass catching, but just because he's so good and just kind of landing in that middle to late second round. Uh, I was hoping Pollard would land or fall to me in that uh, pros versus joes, but that was kind of a pipe dream with all those sharps in there. I mean, he's going mid to late second, and it's a great pick. Um, he was the RB seven last year, and that was with Zeke in the mix. And even if they brought Zeke back, it wouldn't really affect Pollard's, uh, value. It might, it might affect his ADP. Uh, but he's a really, really good, you know, people complain about that being towards the end of the first round with your pick, but if you can nab a, maybe a Bijan or a, uh, a Nick Chubb and then come back and get Pollard in the second. If you want to go running back, running back to start or grab one of those receivers and then grab Pollard in the second, that's a strong start.
0: Speaking of Chubb, he's a player I have seen go in the first round at the turn sometimes, but as you wrote in your article, Nick Chubb has seen 20.1 touches per game without Kareem Hunt in the lineup. And, Most recently, on the site right now, I am doing a $1,900 draft with both Connor Allen and Ryan Noonan. It is being kept up. It's for free if anyone wants to go check it out. And we luck boxed into A.J. Brown at 110 with our first pick. And then on the comeback, Nick Chubb was still there. So we had a Brown-Chubb start, which felt amazing, felt incredible. And like you, I do have Chubb as a first-round player.
1: Yeah, I think so. He's really talented uh another stat from the article he was sixth in both yards after contact per attempt and broken tackles per attempt after finishing second and fourth respectively in 2021 so he's over multiple years now proven that he's one of the best uh pure runners in the, in the league and with hunt out of the way yes some of the some of those snaps might go to jerome ford uh but i think i think the running back coach actually talked about chubbs upside as a receiver Uh, earlier in the year and and, you know saying some outlandish things that he might have a thousand yards receiving now I don't you know that's not going to happen but the fact that the running back coach is mentioning that as a possibility in his head certainly indicates that Chubb's going to be running more routes and catching more passes and you know he's he's in a behind a great offensive line the offense should be better if Deshaun Watson is any better Uh, Chubb is a really really safe pick.
0: As Deesh asks in the chat Chubb at eight overall in a 14-team league, half PPR scoring, do you think that being that high on Chubb is still a wise move? Because I think so, if people listening are in 14-team leagues.
1: Yeah, I think it's fine. Uh, half PPR as well, so that favors running backs a little bit. You're getting a stud stud running back one at, at, at eight.
0: You also wrote, Mark Andrews should benefit from the arrival of OC Todd Munkin. As we know, last year... Andrews averaged 11.3 points per game uh, in starts and 11 full games with Lamar Jackson still tied in two in points per game by Kelsey, but that number was still far removed from the 14.1. He averaged in 2021 as the tight end one overall. So your thoughts on Mark Andrews and the Ravens offense this year.
1: Yeah, I had, I saw the same sort of splits. I mean, I, I I usually exclude week 18 shenanigans uh, when I'm looking at my numbers, but his production has been a bit higher with Jackson sideline 13.0 to 12.4 in uh, half PPR. That doesn't worry me too much. I mean, that's not a big split to me. And if, if Monken like calls a normal NFL offense now, I mean, we've had Greg Roman, uh, you know, going very, very run heavy. If we're, if we're getting to a, a decent pass rush split where it's more normal, Andrews should be one of the primary if not the primary beneficiary of that in this offense and these numbers should grow from from these levels and he's already a really solid number two option at the position so you know mark Allen, andrews very talented rising uh, tide lift all boats type of a deal rashad bateman's kind of not doing too well with his health it seems so you're looking at you know maybe zay flowers odell beckham mark andrews is the top three options and i think andrews is the top option of those three
0: The Ravens also bottom 10 in pass play rate from neutral game script within one score of their opponents in Lamar Jackson's career under Greg Roman. So we assume, and assume correctly, that they just can't be any slower of an offense. We're expecting more plays. We're expecting more passing volume. And like a Josh Allen, if we're trying to take the ball out of his hands – As a one-for-one talent, it doesn't matter. Like, he still will get rushing carries and rushing yards somehow, some way, because that's his style of play. So if we are talking about more passing volume, that's what we want from Lamar Jackson, since the carries aren't going anywhere. So, yes, uh, Lamar Jackson has been going in these high-stakes drafts around the third or fourth-round turn ahead of Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, and I think that's about correct, given that he's capable of blowing the lid off like a Jalen Hurts or Josh Allen.
1: Yeah. You know, with it, back to Andrews, you know, I've been looking at my mind's been an FFPC, you know, brain because of the pros versus Joe's draft and Scott Fishbowl, uh, which is very heavily tilted towards tight ends. And those, you know, Mark Andrews is going in the first or second round in those drafts, but in a typical half PPR PPR league, he's going in the middle of the third round. And I think he's a perfect player to take after that group or amongst that group, Devonta Smith, T Higgins, Ramon Stevenson before take him before DK Metcalf um, and just lock up a, a really good tight end at that point in the draft and, and you know Kelsey's going in the first round uh, in, in the in those drafts I mean half PPR full PPR drafts and you know Andrews it's conceivable that he could outscore Kelsey even if both stay healthy if if Andrews is uh and the, the, the volume for the for the Ravens increases like we, we think it will
0: and by the way, if you're interested in how those drafts are looking right now, I will be streaming one live on Friday night. Uh, what's the date? Wednesday, August 4th, Friday, August 4th, Friday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, by myself, $1,900 fantasy football draft, so you can gauge ADP on our YouTube channel. Uh, you also wrote, since we're on the quarterback conversation, in that tier of Lamar Jackson, that over the past two seasons, Kellen Moore's offenses in Dallas have finished 1st and 11th in total yards and 1st and 4th in points scored. From 2019 to 2021, Dallas also finished 2nd, 8th, and 2nd in passing yards. So we are expecting Justin Herbert to be elevated finally by the scheme and coaching staff around him.
1: Yeah, Herbert's an interesting guy. Kind of looking back at his 2022, how disappointing it was relative to how his career started. I mean, he still posted pretty decent numbers, but they just were sort of middling QB2, high-end QB2 numbers when you're expecting, you know, he was going in the top five last year, I think. So given all the talent they have there, I mean, the Chargers were third in passing yards last year, 13th in points scored last year. So the offense was still pretty solid. But if if uh, Kellen Moore is able to get that 13th in points scored up to top five, then you know that what that means. That means more passing touchdowns. Uh, more rushing touchdowns, et cetera. So that should vault uh, Herbert into the, you know, back into the top eight or so, or top seven or so at his position. So, you know, you're just looking at it. It's like, you, you feel like this is a, when they had an opportunity to upgrade their offensive coordinator, they jumped on it. They saw what Kellen Moore brought to that Dallas offense. And I think he's going to bring uh, the same sort of success to the, to this uh, Chargers offense, which frankly might be more talented.
0: And, I don't think depth of target is an OC instrument. Uh, so I'm not so much believing like everyone else that Justin Herbert would suddenly start throwing downfield a lot more, especially because the offense really didn't change. Like, yeah, they added Quentin Johnson in the first round, but Quentin Johnson was one of the nation's worst deep ball receivers. That's not how you utilize him. Um, you utilize him like well, like Chase Claypool should be utilized and never go downfield. Uh, sweeps carries underneath routes since Johnston averaged 7.7 career yards after the catch per reception with TCU. And so even if we don't get the downfield targets, I don't think it matters. I think Herbert is in a much better position. Uh, and he and Austin Eckler seem to be the ones that will now soak up these targets away from Gerald Everett. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, you can keep adding Gerald Everett in best ball just because he's going to be on the field. But it seems like his career-high targets were solely a product of Mike Williams and Keenan Allen just never being on the field together. So I think Gerald Everett's actually the one who loses out here.
1: Yeah, Everett had an interesting offseason. He kind of thought he was going to get cut, and then he kind of came back. And, you know, he's been a low-end tight end one, high-end tight end two for the last few years. So uh, You know, it, he's, a, he's, he's a decent player. I don't expect that he's going to be a top – three, four option this year behind Eckler, uh, Allen, and Mike Williams. Again, if those guys get injured, though, you never know.
0: Let's get to the 49ers splits because, as you point out in your article, Debo Samuel was Brock Purdy's top target when healthy. And I like tacking on the playoff game since we need more sample of Christian McCaffrey healthy with Debo Samuel and George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk. And what we know is that in six games together, when – All five of those players, Purdy included, were on the field. Debo Samuel led the team with a 25.5% target share. George Kittle was down to an 11.5% target share as the fourth in the pecking tree behind all of them. CMC coming up second, IU coming up third. And honestly, not all of them can get there, right? Uh, And so if we're expecting two to lose out, My personal picks are Brandon Ayuk, which I know is not popular in ADP right now, but I think Ayuk and Kittle are the ones who lose out and probably fall behind their ADP, but your thoughts on Debo, because like you, I am also highest on Debo.
1: He just seems to be the main guy when healthy, and they seem to scheme him targets, uh, first read type stuff, so it's just, it's just very glaring how much those other guys bump up when he's sitting, you know, Ayuk had averaged uh, 5.2 targets with Debo Kittle averaged 4.2 targets with Debo when Debo sat, it was 7.7 for Iuke. It was 7.0 for Kittle. Obviously Kittles just went crazy with the touchdown scoring. He was averaging 20.2 points per game uh, in the, in the three games that Debo missed. So it just went nuts. So you have that sort of upside with Kittle, but when all three are healthy, it's almost as if a is kind of a fringe play 8.0 points per game, 5.2 targets, 52 yards per game, 0.2 touchdowns. You know, you might plug him in as your wide receiver three, but you're not confident he's going to do anything for you. Kittle still start because he's a tight end, you know, and it's, the position's different. He's still a tight end one, but, you know when when Samuel sits, both these guys are must starts, and Kittle especially just exploded. So it just seems you know with Purdy back, it looks like he's going to be the starter. His elbow is okay. Uh, I you know I've seen some people say that Debo's ADP is egregiously bad, as in he's going too early. I don't really think that's the case. His rushing yards stayed pretty consistent. He had fifteen point seven rushing yards per game uh, after Christian McCaffrey came over, compared to nineteen point seven before. So the yardage is still pretty much there, 75% of it anyway. And then he's, he's seeing the 6.8 targets per game on top of that. So I think Debo's uh, ADP is just fine.
0: I understand the devil's advocate argument because we're expecting, again, to lose two of these players because Brock Purdy can't possibly have a higher touchdown rate than MVP Patrick Mahomes again. Like, the offense is coming back a little bit for sure. But if that's the case, again, at least McCaffrey – and Debo Samuel have multiple outs. Like, they're they're a straight flush draw instead of just regular inside gut shot draw since Iyuk and Kittle don't get carries like those other two players. Not only that, but you mentioned 20.2 points per game without Debo Samuel for George Kittle. Now factor in that with Debo on the field and Purdy, Kittle averaged only 5.5 PPR per points per game. So again, I am more than comfortable losing Kittle at his ADP. And when you're talking big picture and how to draft, that's also why I think T.J. Hawkinson and George Kittle are just perfect fades, and we should be higher going back to Mark Andrews. Because even Hawkinson in 11 games with the Vikings had one top five finish. He got more volume, but he was the same player. Like, he actually didn't win your leagues at all. And people are still reaching for Hawkinson and Kittle whenever... It seems obvious since Andrews is the tight end to an ADP, but clearly it's not because Andrews is probably the only tight end who can take down Kelsey. And that's why, again, we should be going back to Mark Andrews.
1: That makes sense. And I think, I think Kittle is a decent bet if he slips past ADP or if you're a tight end premium league. You know, Debo has a tendency to get dinged up. Uh, so if he does miss time, you have that sort of upside. Uh, and I think there there is there is an argument that you're looking at Kittle's touchdowns from last year with Purdy. I mean, he had two, two, I, I, I've got him in out, out of order here, but he's got, he had five touchdowns without Debo in the lineup and two with. I don't know that that's necessarily related to Debo. Maybe he's just going to be a good red zone target and he started getting into a good vibe with, with Purdy and, and uh, Kittle in the red zone and and those touchdowns will carry over even if the yardage and the enhanced targets do not when Debo is on on the field. I think Kittle is okay, and I, th- I you know I think in that second tier of tight ends he has the sort of upside uh, that week to week, and then also if there's an injury to Debo, he has t- tight end one overall upside. So I think he's an okay pick. Uh, I'm not chasing after it, but in my pros versus joes, I did take him in a, in a kind of a bully tight end two situation because I took Kelsey first. Um, just thinking that, uh, you know, Kittle's upside could be, win me that tournament if something happens to Debo or if these touchdowns do carry over.
0: And we should note pros versus Joe's and just FFPC League's main event included tight end in premium scoring and pros versus Joe's in particular, uh, bully tight end, flexing tight end, robust tight end has actually been the optimal strategy in years past in that tournament. So catering to a different league. But I was also, speaking- I took
1: him at 412. And I was tilting a little bit because McLaurin, I thought he was going to be there at the turn with Aaron Jones and he went in the middle of the round. And so I was like, okay, what do I do now? Cause you get to that little point and it's like the receivers that I like might be there the following turn. and Tyler Lockett made it to me at 612. So I didn't want to pull the trigger on him, even though he, maybe he's my next highest ranked receiver. And uh, But it was just such a wide receiver heavy draft that I ended up having, having to scramble that position, but I think I did okay. Anyway, I was a little tilting because Terry McLaurin wasn't there for me.
0: Well, let's get into that because Debo is in the same tier, in the same range as DK Metcalf in drafts right now. Tyler Lockett is basically being treated behind Terry McLaurin. But per your article and what we've talked about throughout the offseason, Tyler Lockett not only outproduced DK Metcalf and the 16 games they played together last year, but these two have played 32 games together the last two seasons, and Lockett has averaged one more fantasy point per game, so as outproduced DK. And not only that, when we talk about league-winning players and the type of profiles that win your weeks, Tyler Lockett also has five top-five finishes to DK Metcalf's one the last two seasons when they played together, if you can imagine that. So yet again, Paulson, I think it just comes back to both of us saying everyone needs to continue drafting Tyler Lockett.
1: Yeah. I, I, you know, I don't get the resistance. Um, DK for me is just not a, a do not draft in the third round. I can't do it. You know, I, 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 think, I believe I got him the last time I drafted him was in the fifth round, you know, a couple years ago, uh, or maybe it was last year. But this is just too steep. Uh, Given what's we've seen over the last 16 games, last two seasons, and to me, like these ADPs for these uh, for these Seahawk receivers are kind of upside down. Like I, you know, I think Lockett should be going first, Metcalf probably second, and uh, Smith and Jigba third, with the understanding that yes, you know, Lockett is 30, he could pick up an injury. You know, Smith and Jigba might really emerge as a as a great option for Geno Smith. He might impact them both, uh, both Metcalf and Lockett a little bit. But Lockett's going wide receiver 33. I mean, that's below his floor, in my opinion.
0: I don't want to fade DK Metcalf entirely, but I'm with you on being underweight on him. Just because of what happened last year, and not only leading the league in end zone targets, he had four more, 22 from the next closest player in the league but he also finished with a career high in targets per game and a career low in touchdowns. So I want to be ahead of that regression, but yes, at the same time, there are red flags because everyone's assuming Jackson Smith and Jigba only eats at Tyler Lockett when that doesn't make sense since Lockett has been the one beating out Metcalf this entire time. So both situations are viable that JSN takes targets away from either, not just Lockett. And this also tells us that we should be higher on Gino Smith. I'm almost at the point where I want to put Gino Smith in the same tier as Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson. Um, because I've been doing super flex drafts, whether it be charity or industry leagues, and it gets to the third or fourth round for those who have super flex drafts at home. And it gets to a point where Daniel Jones, Russell Wilson, like those guys are left on the board and Gino Smith is still on the board with them. And, I feel like you have to take him every time in that spot, if only because three wide receivers are going to top 66 ADP, and here's Geno going around 115, 120. So I'm just trying to make sense of all, and I want to be higher on Geno to win the exposure on all of them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have Geno at 10. Uh, I have Daniel Jones at 9. Jones does run the ball a little bit more. Uh, His his offensive weapons have been improved. But you, you make the great case. I mean, they got three receivers in the top 33 ADP, uh, so it's just a matter of whether or not you believe that Gino's season was a fluke or do you think he's actually good? And, you know, reception perception has rolled out some quarterback, uh, articles now. And the, basically the, the summation of that is that Gino's season was for real. So he should be trusted. I think he's a great value. I was getting into my, uh, Draft A strategy and talking about late, late round quarterback and how I'm more likely to take one of these top three quarterbacks. You know, we talked about that drop off and kind of talent there in the early third round. That's a good spot to draft, you know, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, because you just kind of feel lukewarm about these guys that are there. You can get a top player at a different position. But if you don't do that and you want to go late round, there are some really good options because the, the QB nine to QB. 20 qb 19 ranks there's no consensus fantasy you know in the fantasy uh analyst uh, landscape in terms of how these guys should be ranked so there's lots of market inefficiencies and if you trust me or you trust you john you know Geno smith is going qb 16 right now and he was qb six last year and they added the best receiver in the draft so why not
0: and i know which ones mostly the statues that I'm fading in that nine to 20 range, but that's what makes Sammy's chat here. Interesting because he asked Brock Purdy or Sam Howe as a QB two in super flex, which one are you more comfortable with? And I want to mention Sam Howe specifically, because of course he has the legs, he's the one. And honestly him and Kenny Pickett seem like the only ones that like after QB 20 can break in to that high end QB two range. If only because we know they have rushing upside.
1: Yeah, I was I was saw that question. I was smiling because those are my two very late round, uh, super flex type sleepers. And I've got I'm I'm sure I'm in the minority here, but I've got Howell at 19, uh, Purdy at 20. So they're very interesting players for me in the in those QB two ranks. And I think Purdy probably has a better stranglehold on the job. So he's you know probably safer in terms of you know you're going you're gonna get 12 13 starts out of him minimum. Whereas Howell, we don't know, right? He If he comes out and completely craps the bed, does he get yanked for Jacoby Brissett? But I think Howell has so much upside due to the rushing. My, my rookie uh, model projects him for 35 yards per game rushing after a huge rushing uh, final season in college. And we saw that in the one start. I think he had 35 yards rushing or 34 yards rushing and a touchdown. So right there, you're getting 10... Fantasy points nine ten fantasy points and so if you can add anything with the passing and he's actually showed pretty well as a passer, uh, not a huge volume in that one start against Dallas but they were leading the entire game, and they obviously wanted to run the ball, but he threw a dart to McLaurin. Uh, he we saw uh, footage of a training camp another dart to him on a one handed catch by McLaurin that was a that was a laser from Howell. So I think Howell has. Top 12 upside. I mean, he's the guy that could sneak into the top 12 or top 10, like Daniel Jones, Geno Smith did last year, if he holds on to the job the entire year, rushes the ball like he, we think he will, and is a decent passer. I think that's all he needs uh, to, to really turn in low end QB1 numbers.
0: It's also about where he's being drafted, like around the Derek Carr, Bryce Young range. Bryce Young was not a mobile quarterback at all at Alabama. Derek Carr hasn't finished inside the top 20 quarterbacks in points per game and five consecutive seasons. So you're basically just giving up. Like you're throwing in the towel if you're drafting those players because they have to get there only through passing volume. Whereas Hal has both ways to do it. There's, of course, some game theory involved because Jacoby Brissett is making $8.5 this year, much more than a backup typically makes. And so he does push competition. But again, if Hal hits, he hits big because of the legs. So that's why I want to take a chance on him in that range. It's the same thing as what's happening right now with Jameson Williams. It's like, yes, maybe Jameson Williams does have some work to do. Maybe he's rough around the edges. They're going to play him a lot in preseason because he's doing so poor in camp. But at the same time, You can't move Jameson Williams back too much in ADP because then you start getting into the Judo Smith-Schuster's and the Jonathan Mingos, and those guys can't win like Jameson Williams wins with 40-yard catches. Like, he had four catches of 70 yards in his last year of college. Like, that's the kind of player we want at 100, 120 ADP. So you just have to look at the landscape, not just talk about the individual player, which is what we're doing with Hal.
1: Yeah, and then it, Howell's receiving core is excellent. I think we're kind of sleeping on the the commander's offense a little bit. I mean, you got Terry McLaurin is one of the best route runners, up-and-coming receivers. Uh, Jahan Dotson uh, injured in and out of the lineup last year, but when he was playing, he was really good. And Curtis Samuel as your number three option. I mean, these are three really good route runners, really good receivers. They have Logan Thomas at tight end. They have uh, Antonio Gibson, the pass-catching running back as well. So he's he's You know, Howell is really set up for success this year if he could just hold on to that job.
0: The ADP is correcting, but before Joe Mixon renegotiated his deal with the Bengals, he was going after the Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Miles Sanders tier. Now he's rightly being drafted and valued around Jameer Gibbs and Brees Hall. And as you pointed out in your article, Mixon was the RB8 in points per game last year, and he had a career high in targets per game because defenses finally stopped allowing Joe Burr to throw deep and forced him into the most pass attempts against two high safeties. And so with Travion Williams carted off in practice and really just negligent competition behind him, we think Joe Mixon is a value right now in drafts.
1: Yeah, I haven't really adjusted my rankings too much for the – because I assumed he was going to, you know – adjust his salary given the the running back landscape. It would be a bad idea to get cut right now, given all the other guys out there. Uh, Cause it's debatable, you know, where he stands his advanced stats are not great. Um, they just haven't been good the last two seasons.
0: And so, I blame the offensive line. Um, Joe Burrow did get better, lower his sack rate, and they did add a sturdy left tackle this year to, at least on paper, make their offensive line even stronger. But yes, I think that was the cause for him basically running into the center's ass and getting hit behind the line of scrimmage every single carry.
1: Yeah, and I remember looking at the offensive line spending and they the last two years they've really upgraded that offensive line, but they only saw results last year in the passing game and, and the adjusted sack rate was what that dropped and the adjusted line yards didn't weren't, weren't helped at all. So there is some upside there with, with Mixon and the offensive line. You mentioned the injury to Williams. That's, I think, kind of a sleeper key here, like a low key. If he's not available, does Mixon get even more passing down work? He's not, he's not the greatest uh, pass blocker. Uh, but they do throw to him quite a bit, so um, I think he probably should be moving up a little bit. And I, you know, I I always saw that uh, stat about him, you know, scoring 25% of his fantasy points uh, in his biggest game, and that's why you shouldn't draft him. But then if you re- remove his worst game, which is only fair, he's he scored at an RB15 level, so his RB15 ADP makes sense. I mean, he's a high end RB2. He's got low-end RB1 upside if he's getting this monster workload because, as we say, follow the touches when it comes to running backs.
0: And where do you have him ranked between Gibbs, among Gibbs, Brees Hall, and Josh Jacobs? Because that's the range that's happening right now in drafts.
1: Yeah, I have him at 17 right now, and I hadn't moved him up based on that news, but I haven't adjusted for the Trayvon uh, Williams Moves. And you bring up a good point about the offensive line. Maybe that's the reason for this, uh, these advanced, like I've been kind of like reluctant. I mean, I would take Mixon if he fell past ADP. I've been a little bit reluctant because his advanced stats just weren't very good, but he's a volume guy. So he's, you know, 18, 19 touches per game. He should be uh, in that Josh. I mean, Josh Jacobs is just, uh, who knows what's going to happen with him? Like, it just seems like he's dug in and may not even play. Uh, Brees Hall coming off the injury. I think Najee Harris is a pretty solid pick. They did a lot to that offensive line. Uh, It was already a good unit, and they're upgrading it. So I think Najee Harris probably should be ahead of him. But um, yeah, I think Mixon needs to move up a few spots in my rankings. But I don't feel strongly about him over an Aaron Jones or an Alexander Madison or a Miles Sanders, because I think those guys are going to see, except for maybe Jones, uh, the same amount of touches.
0: Speaking of the Steelers' offense, you write, touchdown Gresham will be Deontay Johnson's friend. Johnson, of course, who didn't score a touchdown last year, but in now four years with the Steelers, has led the team in target share in every single season, including when he was a rookie. So your thoughts on why Johnson will bounce back this year and is undervalued?
1: Yeah, I mean, this looking at his season, it's pretty wild. I mean, you, you just don't see a player like, get this many targets and not score a touchdown. Uh, just looking at pure regression, um, his his uh, 4.9% career to date touchdown rate prior to last season, it's really a wild stat here because if I would apply that to his his targets, he would have caught 7.26 touchdowns. And then you look at, there's 50 receivers since the 2010 season, 142, 152 targets uh, was the range. They've averaged, that group has averaged 7.26 touchdowns, exact same number between both those stats. So he should have caught 7.3 touchdowns, 7.26 touchdowns. So, you know, if he had, he, if he had done that, he'd be the fantasy uh, wide receiver 19. You know, I think his ADP has been creeping up. I think there's been a lot of, I guess he's wide receiver 29. So, you know, I think he should be going, I think in PPR leagues, he should be, he's a, he's a good wide receiver too for me and half PPR, maybe he's in that 22 to 25 range uh, for me, but, you know, really talented route runner. Uh, I believe he had the highest open score at the 538 ESPN advanced stats uh, reception, perception loves him. Uh So it's just a matter like the, the one thing that's concerning, and uh, you know, I was going to bring it up with, with Lockett, uh, Metcalf and Gino Smith is that Geno Smith's been a lot more efficient throwing it to Lockett. He's got more yards, more touchdowns on fewer targets than, than DK Metcalf. So does that continue? Um, it, is, it, is it just a better relationship, throwing and catching, between Geno and Lockett? The same question with Kenny Pickett uh, and George Pickens and Deontay Johnson, because his, you know, you look at uh, Pickens, he averaged point Five, seven yards per attempt uh, Kenny Pickett did passing to Pickens compared to 5.46 yards per attempt to Johnson. But Johnson got more targets. So just, the relationship seems to be better between P- Pickett and Pickens. They seem to be vibing better. But we know Deontay Johnson is good. I have to think this 5.46 yard, yards per attempt increases now that Pickett has had an offseason to work with Deontay Johnson. And I have to think that Kenny Pickett's passing touchdown rate is going to get to somewhat normal after a really bad uh, rookie season.
0: It really depends how Matt Canada uses Pickens because, as, as sharp football's Rich Rebars pointed out throughout the offseason, Pickens led the league in go routes last year. And we know from Sports Info Solutions, Kenny Pickett was actually 32nd among all quarterback and uncatchable target rate 10 yards downfield. He's one of the league's worst deep ball throwers. So if Pickens is going to run, that was routes again from the boundary and be used the same. I don't even worry about drafting Pickens at his ADP at all. I actually just want to be ahead of Deontay and Pat Fryermuth because Friermuth, in the seven full games, he played with Pickett, Deontay Johnson, and Pickens. Friermuth was second on the team in target share. Deontay was 22%. Friermuth was 19%. So, and, and I want to bet on the Steelers' passing offense regression based on... What I wrote, I will send everyone to my best ball tiers under Kenny Pickett, who I do have as the QB nineteen, I think it is, in the same tier as Russell Wilson, even though he's not being valued as such in drafts. So we want to bet on the historical regression of the Steelers passing offense. And I prefer to do so with Deontay and Friermuth.
1: That's reasonable. And I think, you know, Fryermuth is a good touchdown bet if, if touchdowns reg- you regress. But I think I think you you're looking at Deontay getting four or five touchdowns, and that would be. Totally within reason, and that would really enhance his value based on what he did last year.
0: And finally, from weeks 10 to 17, James Conner was the fantasy RB5, averaging 21.3 touches for 102 total yards and a touchdown per game. Essentially a workhorse with seven top five finishes or top 15 finishes, and that was for an offense that was bottom six in points per game because touches – are still king. So your thoughts on James Conner, who's going around the 7th and 8th round right now.
1: Yeah, I was an uh, advocate of drafting Conner last year. He got dinged up, but then he delivered down the stretch there, Week 10 to Week 17. Fantasy RB5, he averaged 21.3 touches for 102 yards, 1.0 touchdowns per game. Uh, not a whole lot of competition there for for touches. So the the only thing that worries me here is the kyler murray injury and how bad is this you know cardinals team going to be and we had a point where they're you know murray doesn't make it back i'm kind of like bullish about his injury like i think he'll probably play early in the season but if he doesn't and they're one and seven and connor starts to get nicked up like are we are we shutting them down are we giving them some time off like does it matter are they just going to start tanking Uh, And are they even bothering, you know, feeding him the ball this much? Like that's the question I think with Connor, but at his ADP, you know, you're looking at him as an RB three, RB four type, and you don't get these kind of touches at that point in the draft very often. I mean, this is amazing volume to be getting in whatever round he's going in.
0: I think that's also my reason for not straying from the path and not drafting Alexander Madison, Najee Harris, Miles Sanders, that group of guys. It's not that I don't think they'll get touches. It's that James Conner, Rashad White, James Cook are all there four round, four or five rounds later. So that's my argument for drafts.
1: Yeah, that's reasonable. I mean, Madison, you can get in the fifth. I think Sanders is the same way. Um, let's look at let's look at Conner.
0: And by uh, the way, uh, Yahoo ADP because we're now working, we're integrating redraft ADP both in high stakes and the recreational leagues. Yahoo ADP is out of control. We'll have we'll have that stuff on the site for everyone who has a subscription about attacking your drafts at sleeper, Yahoo, CBS, NFL. We have it on the site for everyone. But I've been looking to ADP across sites, and man, it's it gets hectic out there.
1: Yeah. So Connor, uh, pick eighty-one, uh, middle of the seventh round. You mentioned Rashad White uh, as well. Pacheco is there at eighty-eight. Javante Williams at eight, pick eighty-three. Kamara isn't getting interesting. Pick 90. So there are a lot, you know, James Cook as well, 92. Uh, so there are some interesting players available later. I think there are some warts on those, you know, Connor and, and Rashad White. How bad are these offenses going to be? Like, that's the concern. Whereas you, with, Madison, with Madison, you have a really potent offense. You know, he's going to get some rushing touchdowns, and he is the bell cow uh, as far as we know. Uh, so you are paying a, you're, you're paying a two-round premium for that. If you want a few extra goal line carries for Madison in the fifth round versus seventh round for Connor, but you, you know your arbitrage argument does make sense when you're when you're looking at the depth at running back this year. I think it's a really deep year where you can get guys with big touch upside. You know, RB twenty five Connor, RB twenty six Rashad White. I mean, these are and then Kamara at RB twenty nine, just pending that suspension. I mean, these are these are good players and good workloads here in the in the you know seventh eighth round.
0: We opened up my Vikings team preview on the site for everyone. If you want to see my thoughts on Alexander Madison, Justin Jefferson, and the rest of that team. With that, Paulson, anything else to point out before we get out of here?
1: No, just go click on the article. The first twenty twenty-one uh, stats are free. Decide if you want to subscribe. You know, I've got another 80 stats in there for you. And then drop, uh, Draft Day strategy will be dropping
0: next week. And if you're a new subscriber, if you've just been thinking about doing so, reach out, DM me on Twitter. We could we talk. I understand inflation. We can talk. I'll be a good guy. So until next week, you will be back with our friend Matt Harmon to talk about breakout wide receivers for fantasy football. Until then, everyone, stay locked into the site. There's so much coming out right now. Remember, be a little bit kinder once or twice. See you next time.